Let's talk about police reform, but very little of it from those on the other side of the thin blue line. Let's talk with Daniel Reinhardt on Steve Brown, etc. He's an old white guy, an author, broadcaster, and seminary professor who's sick of religion. And he's brought friends. Please welcome Steve Brown, etc. Hey, we are so glad you're here. I say it all the time, but you do have a place at our table. And we welcome you with open arms. Giving an hour out of a busy schedule is a grand and glorious gift. And we appreciate that. Uh, We'll try to give you the gift of a dynamite program. And so we won't be under your obligation. We will be even. (laughs) <laughs> and if you're wondering, I'm Steve Brown, the aforementioned old white guy. Our executive producer, Matthew Porter, is here. He says he sometimes feels useless. But Matthew, listen, you can always be a bad example. Here's <laughs> that. Okay. All right. Fulfilling your purpose. And our producer, Jinx, is in his little glass booth. His hair says guns and roses, but his heart says guns and more guns. <laughs> <laughs> and our one-man IT department, John Myers, is in his tech bunker. Uh, some of you know about his home and the decorations and, and the lights, millions and millions of lights with music finally after a long december his elaborate christmas decorations are down his uh, his neighbors are rejoicing and dancing and speaking in tongues and john's light at the end of the tunnel is no light (laughs) and dr george bingham is the president of key life and in case you were wondering (laughs) this is so bad i don't want to read it (laughs) Matthew writes these. I just read them. Uh, in case you were wondering, George's pronouns are coffee and now. <laughs> and Kathy Wyatt is, of course, the soft feminine side of the program. It's the end of 2023. So I resolved not to eat any more of Kathy's baked goods until the next time she offers them. <laughs> hey, guys, this is, guys, this is going to be a great program. Um, uh, we're going to be, we're going to be talking about the thin blue line about police brutality. I thought we paid them to be brutal, but maybe we don't. <laughs> Daniel Reinhardt served as a police officer for 24 years. After retiring, he was assistant professor at Heart of Texas Foundation College of Ministry at Memorial Unit, a prison near Houston. And currently, he's the associate director of student life and applied ministry at Southern Baptist Theological Seminary. Daniel's new book is called Rethinking the Police, an officer's confession 
and the pathway to reform, and I hold it in my nicotine-stained fingers. <laughs> Daniel, it's so good that you would take time out of a busy schedule to be with us. There are a lot of people who pontificate about police reform, and I suspect there is a need for that, but evil is evil, and uh, uh, it's never dealt with perfectly, but you got to deal with it because there are bad people in the world doing bad things, and they've got guns. And when we defund the police and pretend if we'll be nice to them, the bad people will be nice to us, we're going to be in serious trouble. But you come as a Christian, and not only as a Christian, but you come you come as a former police officer for 24 years. And the title of your book has confession built into it. So before we go any further, do you want to unburden yourself <laughs> with uh, the people you killed and beat? Oh, gosh. And the things that you, the bribery you took <clears throat> and the politicians that you worked to please... Uh, we'll be open to that, and we can be a confessional. And because we're into grace, we will grant you forgiveness. <laughs> what do you mean by the confession? Was it really yeah, bad? I don't want to. I don't want to do any serious confessions to the statute of limitations. Is uh, <laughs> <laughs> now I just uh, the things that I critique in the book and the structures that I talk about, I participated in. And was didn't understand at the time uh, how they certainly didn't align with the Christian faith or just actions. So I write the book with guilty hands as well. Yeah. And as, and if you've been through the book, I'm not talking about uh, individual officers doing the wrong thing. This is a book that critiques the system and where people with good hearts and good intentions can end up just like I was. Uh, being part of a system that that's not resulting in what you want it to, to actually help people and keep peace in society. Uh, you know, I had a, uh, I served as a pastor in the Boston area for a lot of area years. And I had a gentleman in our, uh, in our church, big son of a gun too, but uh, he worked with the riot police he had a German shepherd. In fact, I trained my German shepherd at the police training grounds. But the interesting thing about him is that every Monday morning, he came into my study at the church before he began his week, and we got down on our knees, and he said, Steve, I need prayer that I can be Christian in what is a very hard place to be Christian. He said that his attitudes, he was fearful, were becoming racist, and he wanted to pray and repent of his racism. He said his anger sometimes is over the top, and he wanted to repent of that. And surprisingly, uh, as a result of that prayer and some other things that were going on, he became an almost transformed person and maybe a person that would have been a great illustration for your book. Talk to us a little about the system 
and some of the problems that go on with the system. Well, well even the example you provided there, uh, you get indoctrinated into the police culture. And I was 22 years old when I started as a policeman, and I didn't even know there was such thing as subculture and police culture. I didn't understand these things. But you step into it, and it doesn't take long to realize how it's changing your behavior. And if you're a Christian, like your friend was or like I was, you know, the Holy Spirit's convicting you of certain mindsets and, and behaviors that you know just don't align with what uh, being a Christian can be. Jokingly, but sadly, we would say the couple of Christians in our police department, there are only a few, we used to call our department the Christian killer because we would interview these young guys who were Christians that came from various denominations and churches and were very faithful. And five years later, they weren't going to church. They hated the world. They hated everybody. They were mm. completely transformed in the wrong direction. Mm. And now I know through my studies that it was the police culture and what they saw and just the whole the whole paradigm of what you experience from urban violence to the culture, to what you're doing every day that can really harden your heart. Yeah, that's all I can imagine. Do you, you know, I'm, I, and I know you've got some really profound suggestions uh, in this book and we're going to get into some of those. I'm, I'm kind of a cynical old preacher and uh, I, you know, I'm not too hopeful about things changing uh, in terms of human nature. I mean, we require a lot of our police. Uh, we require them to do things and to be and to serve and to uh, um, and to and I was being facetious when I say I thought we paid them to be brutal, but there's some of that involved in it. And I'm not so sure that's fixable. I mean, we we can defund the police. A lot of people have said that would make a difference, but it hasn't. It's gotten worse. There are people who say if they'll be nice and nicer to the criminals, criminals will be nicer to them. And some of that has been tried, and that hasn't worked either. And uh, so maybe it's time uh, for a Christian to step up to the plate, and that's what you've done. Maybe a realistic Christian who understands human depravity, who understands the nature of evil, who understands the call of the Christian to serve in a very difficult and fallen and dark world. And so, in that sense, Daniel, I'm so glad. I sound like I'm preaching, and I'm going to stop on the other side of the on the other side of the break. After a collection. Yeah, we're going to take up a collection, but <laughs> then I'm going to stop preaching. <laughs> you got to get this book, and this needs to be discussed in lots of places because it's from somebody who knows. The name of the book, Rethinking the Police, An Officer's Confession and the Pathway to Reform. Hey guys, this, as I've told you often and you don't believe me, is very hard work. So we're going to have some cookies and milk and rest up and we'll be back.
Hey, thanks for listening to Steve Brown, etc. And if you're enjoying the show, chances are your friends and family would too, right? So help us spread the word by sharing a link, clicking subscribe on YouTube. And if you think about it, drop us a review on your favorite podcast platform, iTunes, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, Spotify. We're pretty much everywhere. Hey, is there one called Podblaster? I mean, it feels like there should be, right? But like no E in Blaster. Just Blaster. 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 Anyhow, that's how the colons do it. Hi, this is Steve Brown. And in case you didn't know, one of the main reasons Key Life exists is to remind believers that God isn't mad at his children. Why am I telling you this? Because our weekly email, Key Life Connection, takes the best of the videos, articles, and puts them right in your inbox. We'd love for you to try it. It's free. Go to keylife.org slash subscribe. Thanks for joining us. Uh, we're talking with author and former police officer Daniel Reinhardt, and his new book is titled Rethinking the Police, An Officer's Confession and the Pathway to Reform. And we were talking with Daniel off the air, and for those of you who have joined the insider thing for this particular program, we may put some of that conversation uh, in a place where you can access it. But um, we were talking uh, during the break, and Daniel is a conservative politically. He's an evangelical Christian, and uh, we are too. Uh, that shouldn't surprise anybody. I mean, we try to be benign and kind and gentle and civil, but those of you who aren't like us are going to hell. And I think you all, I'm kidding. All right. But the really interesting thing about Daniel in this book is the kind of criticism he gets. He gets it from the left and he gets it from the right. And I told him Jesus had the same problem. And uh, so he was in good company. I don't know if it helped him much, but... Uh, but I think you ought to know that, Daniel. Well, Daniel, just kicking off what Steve said, you know, when you hear the phrase police reform, I don't know if I have ever heard that phrase apart from somebody, not just on the left side, but on like the fringy left that would say something like defund the police or some really kind of out there ideas. Help us extract what you're saying from those things. Uh, so we can really understand clearly, you know, kind of as we're getting into this conversation, understand where you're coming from. Yeah. Anytime you talk about the police, you've just stepped into a political conversation. Yeah. Yeah. And so this might be oversimplifying, but from the right, it's like the police are fine. There's nothing to see here. Just keep driving on. And then the left has this, when they talk about reform is radical ideologies, like defunding the police and, and decriminalizing everything, right. letting the, the lunatics run the asylum. You know, that will never work. What I'm talking about is saying, hey, policing has some issues, particularly related to the culture, particularly related to the leadership, particularly related to specific strategies that are employed in communities of colors, color. Those need to be reformed to effectively keep the peace and reduce crime. The way we're doing it now doesn't work. So reforming the police institution as it is, not defunding it. 
And I recognize that most of the officers go out every day with good hearts trying to do a good job. But the institution itself needs reform. There's problems. So that's a middle ground, I would say. Now, when you, I would love to get specific. You know, when you talk about culture, you know, and there's a great moment in in um, uh, a few good men where you know they're asking about policies and procedures, and you know if it's important, it's in this book. And then he asks them, you know, well, when you get hungry, where does it say in the book to go to the mess hall? And he's like, well, no, I just. When when it's lunchtime, I follow the crowd. It's like, right, just because something isn't codified does not mean it's not real and have an influence. So uh, drill down into that. How, uh, what does that mean when, when you say that uh, some of the existing culture that's allowed to, to continue is unfair to, like, black communities? What, what are we talking about here as far as standard operating procedures? Yep, so that is a perfect example, the quote from the movie. But what I identify is that the police culture essentially – is the driving force of the police department and it can oppose and uh, the formal policies and manuals it often does in the police culture I identify three particular concerning aspects the tendency towards social distance the tendency to dehumanize populations and we know as christians when those two things happen social distance and dehumanization abuse occurs yeah. in america we've got a social distance between the fetus We've dehumanized the fetus, and now we can exterminate the fetus at, at horrible numbers. Uh, you can see that in history. So that trend takes place in policing, social distance, the police away from the community. I traced the history of policing to show how that happened, and then dehumanizing people, which leads to abuse. So that tendency is in the culture. Now, the leadership itself in policing is often toxic because of the structure of it. It feeds those tendencies in the officers. Those officers then are equipped with a specific strategy called intelligence-led policing, which I can get more into, and zero-tolerance policing, which sends them into areas, uh, minority areas, to enforce every law that you can think of. So at a threshold that wouldn't happen anywhere else, which is going to lead to more enforcement, more contentious encounters, more resistance from the public, a more adversarial posture of those people towards the police. And here's the police equipped with this strategy and a culture of social distance, dehumanization and abuse. That is going to be a combination for conflict and problems, even if the officer isn't intentionally wanting to do that. Steve's example of the officer praying was him recognizing my heart's being hardened by what I'm doing in the posture yeah. that I'm sent into the community to do it with. He was he was acknowledging it at that visceral level that a, that a Christian feels it, that I'm identifying these things very clearly in the book. And these are Christian values. These are Absolutely. not ones you just dreamed up. Do you, um, do you know, are, are leaders across the country beginning to hear the kinds of things that you're saying? Well, I would say the people most uh, contentious to what I'm saying are police leaders, because essentially I'm saying this culture is the problem. You're propagating it. And so essentially you're the biggest problem. I was a police lieutenant. I was the biggest problem. The mm. way we tend to lead the leadership structure, how it builds the culture, the us versus them mentality that undergirds these strategies is leading to disrupt societal peace. Now, it's not the only factor. I'm not ignoring urban violence. I'm focusing on the police. But this posture towards the public is going to breed contention and 
conflict. And you can't police a community who's in conflict with you. Uh. You can't enforce your way out of it. And that's what we've proved. We're going to keep enforcing. Well, you can't enforce your way out of a problem when it's a relationship problem. Daniel, do you um, uh, just, again, keying off what uh, Steve's example um, would go back several years because he's old as dirt, you know, and so <laughs> it, that was a long time ago. Uh, has it has this been getting worse? Has it changed or has it always kind of been this way in a different form? Well, I think uh, it's it's always been this way, but it morphs to to fit in the contemporary society. So the thing with systemic racist practices, and I know some people are going to react to that word and I can explain it, but sinful practices find their way into contemporary environments. We Mm -hmm. can understand that. And sin is often often systemic. So the systemic inclinations of uh, sinful inclinations of police culture have found new expressions in contemporary society. And it continues. Oh, man, that makes sense. That really does. I don't like it. Uh, a bit, but that makes uh, sense. I, you know, I grew up in a time when everybody knew the policeman's name, and that was both in the black and white community because they were not in cars; they were walking the street, were talking to people, were a part of it. Now, police associate with police, and the rest of us are riffraff, and <laughs> that's dangerous especially if you're a particular race. I know you're uncomfortable, but this is important stuff. So if you go away, you're going to get the hives. Hey, thanks for listening to Steve Brown, etc. And if you're enjoying the show, would you help us let others know about it? You can share a link, click subscribe on our YouTube channel, or drop us a review on your favorite podcast platform. Thanks much. Hi, this is Steve Brown, and I'm excited to tell you about a new offer from Key Life called Living with Steve. Let me tell you the way it works. I travel with you wherever you go. If you need an entertaining conversation or even a sermon, there I am. That's the good news. The bad news is that it costs a million bucks. (laughs) But wait, there's good news. You can get everything I've just described with the Key Life app. And for a limited time, it's not a million dollars. It's free. Try it now at keylife.org slash app. Talking to uh, Daniel Reinhardt, Dr. Daniel Reinhardt, a former police officer um, and a police leader, by the way. Uh, his book is Rethinking the Police, an Officer's Confession and the Pathway to Reform. By the way, you, if you can keep up with Daniel on uh, uh, X, formerly called Twitter, at Dan Reinhardt 5. And Daniel, is there any other place that people can keep up with you, a website or something? No, I'm seriously lagging on the social media. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to the club, man. I'm not yeah. going there. 
Daniel, you said that you know the whole premise of this is there are systemic problems uh, with uh, with the police as we understand it today. I always have just kind of a reflexive reaction to the word systemic because it's vague. It's you're, it's like saying, "Hey, there's a monster in the house." I'm like, "Great." Any particular room because I'm really interested. <laughs> so it's a good comment. So so drilling down, I mean, not an exhaustive list, but it could be statutes, individual statutes that are 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 racist or um, discriminatory in some way, like codified you know standard operating procedures or systems or and or you know like you said the culture. Where does the problem live? Is it pretty much? In the culture, uh, is it other places, and is it a is it a policy change that fixes this, or how do we get started? Yeah, great question. So, anytime you say systemic racism, that usually triggers people. Okay, so I'm going to define that. First of all, let me tell you who one of my heroes is: is Thomas Sowell. <laughs> Thomas Sowell, if you're familiar with him, yeah. will yeah. tell you He's just because hero. you have a disparity, a statistical disparity like police force doesn't mean you have a systemic oppressive condition. You may have one, right. but the, the statistic alone is not evidence of systemic condition. So I'm in the book, I say, okay, we have disparity, right? We have that. But why is there the disparity? And here's what I say. Here's a culture that promotes social distance, dehumanization, and abuse, right? That is most prevalent in communities of color, the tension between the us versus them mentality between the police and communities of color, specifically African-Americans. The police are now equipped, uh, someone brought up the after 9-11 in the military with intelligence-led policing. What does intelligence-led policing mean? And I'm going to answer exactly how this is systemic. Intelligence-led policing is real quick. It sends the police where the crime is. So it's crime mapping into a hotspot. Well, a hotspot for crime in today's society is going to be an urban area, a minority area. So the police are going to go into that area. Most of the time, intelligence-led policing gets equipped with zero-tolerance policing, which means the police go in, we talked a little bit about this, and enforce everything. Jaywalking, no turn signal, stop and frisk. They occupy the neighborhood. So that means if you throw a piece of trash out your window in a black neighborhood, you're getting a ticket. If you're standing out on the corner, you're getting frisked. If you don't use your turn signal, you're getting stopped. The vehicle's getting searched. That's what people will commonly refer to as DWB. Now, the police officer could have all the greatest intentions in the world. In fact, you can put a robot in the car. If you send them to the spot identified by intelligence-led policing with the methodology of zero tolerance, you're going to enforce the law in a way in black communities that isn't enforced anywhere else. So into the system, this will happen. That's what I mean by systemic. Hmm. Well, and, and that, that was sort of touted uh, as uh, when that, like the broken window policy and seemed to be yeah. so successful in New York. Uh, is, is there a difference there or is are there some positive similar, aspect, aspects of that? Very similar, but for sake of time, let's think of uh, successful. Successful because we've produced numbers. Look, mm. at, we have all these arrests, we have all these drugs, we have all these guns, and we have all these angry people. Other people have brought up, what if we said we have a, 
because intelligence-led policing is saying how oh, we're going to solve the big crimes, intelligence-led zero tolerance, we're going to solve the big crimes by enforcing the little stuff, which will deter the big stuff. Mm. Success, we have numbers on all the little stuff. That's what success was defined. Let's say we said there's a problem on college campuses. We have a date rate problem and we have a drug problem. So let's flood the campuses of the United States with police officers, stop everyone for turn signals, stop and frisk, littering, and we're going to get all these drugs and all this stuff, and we'll have these stats, and we'll say success. Hmm. Why wouldn't it be success then? Hmm. Yet Hmm. it's success when it happens in a community of color. Why? Interesting. People would go, here's a technical word for you, bananas. (laughs) And you did that to their kid in college. And they go, oh, now he's got a possession of weed. He's got, he, he's lost his license because you wrote him eight tickets in the last month for the most minor stuff. Mm. People would go crazy and they would not tolerate it. Yet it's gone on in some form since the war on drugs and before and today in communities of color. And everyone says success. Yeah. Huh. Well, that was, I don't know where this time is going. This is a great conversation. Daniel, uh, you're a good man. You're a brave man. Uh, they're going to kill you. Oh <laughs> gosh! You, you've offended everybody, man. You gotta, you gotta have some people who are on your side, and so we've decided we'll be on your side. Uh, well, we're packing, so it's not an easy promise. I just want you, hey y'all. This is the kind of book that needs to be discussed among Christians. Because only believers and people of faith can understand what Daniel's saying. And we'll discuss it more later. Hey, thanks for listening to Steve Brown, etc. And if you're enjoying the show, chances are your friends and family would too, right? So help us spread the word by sharing a link, clicking subscribe on YouTube. And if you think about it, drop us a review on your favorite podcast platform, iTunes, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, Spotify, we're pretty much everywhere. Hey, is there one called Podblaster? I mean, it feels like there should be, right? But like no E in Blaster, just Blaster, Blaster, Blaster. That's how the colons do it. When Christ promised we could live life to the full, he didn't just mean eventually in heaven, because Jesus didn't come to save us from our humanity, but to restore it. Life with a capital L. Find it now on keylife.org slash store. What if you could start your day by hanging out in God's Word and with some of the most significant theologians, authors, and pastors ever? That's the idea behind the one-year devotional, God With Us. Find it now on keylife.org slash store. for being with us. Uh, we're spending time uh, with a police officer and and he doesn't even have handcuffs. <laughs> it's uh, the book. Uh, he's a conservative. He's uh, orthodox in his Christian beliefs. He has a PhD. Uh, he agrees on all, almost all the issues that those who are part of that community uh, a spouse, and he's saying things that we can only hear, and we have to hear it if there's going to be any kind of change in our culture. 
The book is Rethinking the Police, an Officer's Confession and the Pathway to, to uh, Reform. And you ought to get it, and you ought to share it, and you ought to discuss it in small groups. Daniel, I was um, when I was looking through the table of contents this morning, um, I saw a chapter in section two, part two rather, uh, chapter six, uh, and I was reading specifically through that, creating a new vision for police leadership, and the subtitle on that, which of course you know, the servant dash shepherd model. And as I was reading through that, I thought, you know, I mean, that's just that's just Jesus. Um, you know, I mean, Jesus was the great shepherd and he was, and who was more of a servant than he was. And as we get into this chapter, you talk about the characteristics of a servant leader. And I wonder if you would kind of expand on that a little bit and tell us some of those things specifically, because when you talk about that and you think about uh, police and the position that they're in and what they're called what they're called to do on an almost daily basis it's kind of hard to um put those two things together yeah so uh before i get right into the leadership model there's something i want to say so that people understand because it was very critical of the enforcement tactics today being used mm -hmm. so someone might say well what are the police supposed to do lay down absolutely not we need to be very aggressive in bringing peace and uh, dealing with crime. But what I mean by aggressive in partnership with the community. So I do advocate for policing the community, taking care of urban violence, but it's done through community policing, relationships, community cooperation. It's a slower process where the community comes together with you to fight the, the problem elements in society, these people that are causing crimes, rather than attacking a whole community. So I just want the listeners to realize I am for the police being very active in the community, but at problem solving in community with the community together, identifying the people and folks that are causing these problems and getting them out of society, not just attacking neighborhoods. You know, that's so, doable in every study that they've done in urban communities of color. There is a request not for less police but for more police and how those police operate is what we're talking about. Go, right. go ahead and address what Kathy was talking about, about a servant leader. So what we have to do is build up authentic community police officers because the current police culture can't sustain a community police officer. They're the antithesis of the community police officer. So a servant shepherd leadership model and I don't want to get into specifics of it just for time, but it, you're, you're right. It's like Jesus. You're investing in the character of officers informing them into the type of servants and shepherds that go out in the community, shepherd, protect, mm. and serve through protecting. I'm sure I've heard that somewhere before and seen it on multiple police cars. <laughs> but authentically doing it, creating the character in this officer by shaping him through leadership rather than the police culture shaping officers to social distance, dehumanization, and abuse. This police leader shaping officers into a servant shepherd themselves, equipped with community policing and grounded in a philosophy of procedural justice, where they're looking to bring peace to their communities through cooperation, relationships, and authentic community policing. So it's transforming the culture through leadership to sustain community policing and procedural justice. 
where now are just words that are the antithesis of what a police department really is. All right, Daniel, we got to get down to this, and you got to get the book to read it. But you know, being the pessimist that I am, how are you going to do this? I mean, how do what what are the practical ways we can do what you're talking about? And it's so important. Yeah, so the, the leadership model is very specific, and you can see from the, the diagrams, the models target the specific characteristics and officers that need to change. And they target the specific characteristics that need to be developed and cultivated in officers. So you're changing the core of who the officer is and who the police culture is. And we already have the strategies. If we authentically did uh, the philosophy of procedural justice that I note in my book and community policing would be very effective, but how can you do that with a culture that's at war with the community? Yeah. That they see as, so you have to change them. If we can change these characteristics and officers, starting with leadership, we have the mechanisms to do it in the community. The problem is we can't authentically do it. It's just window dressing now because a police department's culture and leadership is at odds with these type of strategies. However, it fits very well with zero tolerance and intelligence-led policing, enforce without prejudice, enforce without relationship, go in and occupy. That's really easy to do if you're socially distanced and dehumanize the community. And police departments that say that they have community policing don't because how can you have zero tolerance and community policing? In other words, how can I go and pound a neighborhood and aggravate a whole people group and then show up Tuesday and say, hey, I'm here to community to do community policing and yeah. solve problems? You're the enemy. Wow. Yeah. So do we send out the book to all of the uh, police chiefs or is this, <laughs> is this something that could be done on a policy level? No. What this book is written, and I want thoughtful Christians, I want to expose to the public what the real internal problem is so that we can begin external pressure that targets the internal problem. And a lot of that is through uh, training dollars for community policing, pushing away from intelligence led policing. So external change that pressures to make the right internal changes. As you'll see in the book, they make lots of external changes without understanding of what's going on internally and nothing changes. So strategic pressure from the outside to make policing change from within. Are some people within the police community listening to what you're saying? Uh, So I have a good friend who's a Christian. You know, he's such a good friend. And he was my boss that he read my dissertation. That's how you know if he's a good friend. (laughs) (laughs) He was angry with me for about a week. (laughs) And he finally came back and said, some of the stuff you said was true, but it's very difficult to process. Plus, I'm pushing back against... Police orthodoxy. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Plus threatening to the people in power. Oh, yeah. 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 Absolutely. Oh, Daniel, thank you for doing this. I, wow. You know, I, you're going to be like Jesus. You're going to suffer for us. But don't you shilly-shally and don't you back off. And we'll do what we can on this end. I'm going to talk to some police that I know and give them this book. Tell them I'm praying for them. And I expect change. (laughs) And they're going to (laughs) laugh. But I'll think of you, Daniel. (laughs) Hey, listen, thanks for being with us. We appreciate you and what you wrote very much. Thank you for having me.
Hey, thanks for listening to Steve Brown, etc. And if you're enjoying the show, would you help us let others know about it? You can share a link, click subscribe on our YouTube channel, or drop us a review on your favorite podcast platform. Thanks much. What if you could start your day by hanging out in God's Word and with some of the most significant theologians, authors, and pastors ever? That's the idea behind the one-year devotional, God With Us. Find it now on keylife.org slash store. This is Pete Allenson, and if you're a guy, I want to show you how to recover and reclaim an intimate, growing relationship with your Heavenly Father. Check out Like Father, Like Son, How Knowing God as Father Changes Men. Available now at keylife.org slash store. Believer, I want you to remember that where sin abounds, grace does much more abound. And you will run out of sin before God runs out of grace. Grace, the real good news of the gospel. Find it now on keylife.org slash store. You know, it's rare for an old guy like me to think new thoughts. I mean, I've been doing this for so long. I don't believe you can bring up anything theologically or biblically or sin-wise that I haven't heard a thousand times. But this program was different, and it has the ring of truth to it. And uh, what I said to Daniel about him being a brave man, he is going to be hit so hard by the right and the left that it's, man, I feel sorry for him. I, I, uh, but I think he may be anointed to say these things. Now, if you're not a person of faith, you can't hear him at all. Whether you're conservative or liberal, forget about this book. But if you, if you're a Christian, with all of the things that have been taught us so clearly from Jesus about washing people's feet, about I didn't come to be served, but to serve. Um, he emptied himself and became a servant. Those kinds of things, you there's no wiggle room. And that also applies to culture, and it applies to police officers, and it applies to insurance salesmen, and it applies to everybody who is a believer. But we just, because we're scared, uh, we don't apply that uh, within the context of the urban uh, culture of crime. The left has made a horrible mistake in assuming there is no crime and there is no punishment. And so we have DAs that are actually letting people go that ought to be in jail. And as a result, the crime rate is going up. So from the left, they're not going to hear this. They're too busy doing stupid things. And listen, can we talk? On the right, we're doing stupid things too. And because Jesus is at the center of how we define ourselves, We've got to speak truth. We've got to understand it, and we've got to talk to those who are our friends about something's got to change, and if it doesn't, we're in trouble. Thus endeth the sermon. I'm sorry. Kathy, who's going to be on next week? Next week, we're on vacation. So, oh, good. So it won't be controversial. So, well, no, no. <laughs> Matthew, we are going to do a rear, right? Yes. One of our favorites. Yes, Mr. Uh, Mr. Dr. Reverend whatever, Max Licato. Just couldn't get enough. We talked to him several months ago, and 
people are loving that episode. So yeah. let's do it again. Yep. He's the real deal. And that'll be a great program. And we'll be resting on the beach, sunning ourselves, playing golf. What? Or whatever. We got to go. But we will be here digitally next week. Same time, same place. We hope you'll join us. And between now and then, don't do anything we wouldn't. That gives you a wide, wide berth.